Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson injured, Rashad Penny with the best game of his career, and the Lions, Craig Reynolds, racks up more fantasy points than all Bronco wide receivers combined. We are in the mood for fantasy football. We are Pro Football Network. I'm your host, BJ Rudell, PFN's fantasy football director. With me, as always, are PFN fantasy analyst Tommy Garrett and Jason Katz, better known as Katz. Let's jump right in. We're going to be talking about fantasy impacts. Uh, from Sunday's Week 14 game so that you can be ready for Week 15, those of you who are moving on in the regular season or as the fantasy playoffs are starting. First, Browns versus Ravens. Tommy, Lamar Jackson exiting with a sprained ankle. Might not be as serious as first feared. What's your outlook if you have Ravens receivers, if you've got Rashad Bateman, Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews? Are you in any way concerned if Tyler Huntley is the starter next week? I think you absolutely have to be concerned. The good thing about it was like we did see him play pretty well, uh, taking over trying to pull like like a seventy percent version of a Lamar Jackson uh, with what he, how we did out there. But I think the thing that concerned me the most was people were all of a sudden jumping back on Rashad Bateman. I've been you know one of the conductors of that train, but if you look at what happens, like five of his uh, targets end up coming after Sammy Watkins had already left the game. So I think it's not so much the Lamar Jackson issue that happened that ended up causing Rashad Bateman to all of a sudden have a better game. It was look, you had a reduction in the amount of guys that are going to be sitting there getting targets. So and anytime you can remove someone out of a low-volume offense, everyone else is going to get buoyed up. Like, we saw him get, you know, six-plus targets for, like, five straight games, all of a sudden drop off and drop off, going all the way as far as, you know, back in Week 13. We only saw one target in that game and was out-snapped and now targeted by Devin Duvernay and Sammy Watkins. So to remove one of those out of the situation, we should see uh, Rashad Bateman get, uh, take a step up in this offense. But it's all going to come down to the health of Lamar Jackson. It's everyone sitting here saying, okay, a mobile quarterback, they're going to be more injury prone. But Lamar Jackson had never missed a game at this point, despite rushing for almost 700, uh, 700 attempts over his career so far. His one injury came on a pass. So I, I feel like it's just a false narrative people are trying to throw around that, you know, a mobile quarterback is now more injury prone. That's not the case. Uh, hopefully we get Lamar Jackson back out there. It sounds positive uh, although we haven't exactly seen or heard any of the reports about what the MRI or the the uh, further testing showed from Jim Harbaugh from a uh, John Harbaugh but you know Harbaugh and the Ravens they typically th- play things close to the vest and you know you don't want to give a competitive advantage to an opponent I get it as much as I would like to have that you know as someone who who does isn't cares about fantasy football so I would like to have more information but at least as of right now I feel somewhat positive moving forward that Lamar Jackson should be back out there even if he has limited his mobility his arm should be at least still better than what we just saw out of Huntley although he did play pretty well yesterday. And Kat's uh, shifting over to the Browns, Kareem Hunt, ankle injury. The first reports coming out were uh, he could have gone back in if needed. Uh, now it looks like uh, it's more serious than that. Uh, what's the outlook for someone like Dernis Johnson? Does he become a huge waiver ad this week? Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, when you hear that he could have gone back in, you think, okay, then he's probably fine. But you got to realize that a lot of that is adrenaline. We saw, remember back in week, I think it was three or four, when Antonio Brown hurt his heel initially. He went out, got it taped up, finished that game, and then we didn't see him since. I know he's suspended now, but he was still hurt when he was suspended. He wasn't even close to returning, and he finished that game. We also saw it last year with Joe Mixon when he hurt his foot. He finished that game and then missed the rest of the season. Uh, So Kareem Hunt being potentially out for multiple weeks is not super surprising, but it is disappointing going forward. Dearness Johnson with Nick Chubb. uh, He's not fantasy relevant when Chubb is active, but he's probably worth rostering for fantasy managers. Because if Chubb goes down and hunt is still out, we already saw what Dearness Johnson can do. He had two starts this season in those starts, 22 carries 146 yards and a touchdown. Then 
19 carries, 99 yards, seven receptions, 58 yards. Jardis Johnson can produce RB1 numbers when he's the starter, but in his uh, four games with Nick Chubb, he only averaged, sorry, in three games with Nick Chubb active, he averaged 3.75 points per game. So there's just nothing there when Chubb is active, regardless of Hunt's status. But again, he should be on rosters at this point going forward, just in case. And uh, sticking with running backs, Cats, Titans versus Jaguars, Dante Foreman now entrenched, it seems, as the Titans lead back, maybe, possibly. Is this is this a, a, a precarious pecking order right now? Or are, are, is your money right now on Foreman? As you know, it has been on my, you know, on my end for about five, six weeks now. I felt like Foreman would win this fight. Is he the number one? Yep, he he's, he has won this fight, and you have also won this fight when we had our debate about Foreman and Adrian Peterson. Uh, it was definitely Deontay Foreman. Does uh, that not sum up 2021, where that's one of the biggest debates we've had so far in fantasy? Uh, to me, that just feels like, okay, that just kind of sums everything up. Like, even this week, like, well, some of the guys we're talking about like that are going to be fantasy relevant, like, how are these still the names we're talking about with playoffs starting? Like, I don't get how this year is shaped out. Uh, it, it feels like that happens almost every year, but it's more pronounced this year with some of the these names that we thought. I mean, if you look back at some of the guys we're taking in, in August and September in drafts and you thought to yourself, yeah, that's what I'll be doing in, in week 15 in the playoffs. I'll be starting Jared Dokes over uh, over Derrick Henry because Derrick Henry's hurt. It, it, it's just it's it's crazy to think about, but that's the game we play and we do our best to try to try and manage it. Uh, but going back to the Titans, you know, Jeremy Nichols actually led this team in snaps, um, but Foreman is clearly the lead rusher even though this has kind of become a three-man timeshare. The three backs, Foreman, McNichols, and Dontrell Hilliard, all split snaps relatively evenly around that 30 to 35% area. The thing is, though, the Titans won this game 20 to nothing, and it's hard to gauge what their uh, split would look like if this game were more competitive. Next week at Pittsburgh, then home versus the 49ers, then home versus the Dolphins, I expect all three of those games to be likely one-score games, which means they're going to need to use their best backs. I don't think they'll see massive positive game script, but when they run the ball, it is Deontay Foreman. So he is the most valuable member of this backfield and the most trust- trustworthy one. Very good. And the thing is, like, you look at the Steelers. Like, you just mentioned the Steelers. Like, this is not a defense we should fear. Like, over not the last four weeks, they are dead last in fantasy points. Now, granted, they went through a gauntlet of players they face. And I'm not trying to elevate, you know, Dante Foreman, Dante Hilliard into that kind of role, but like, it's not necessarily a matchup that we're going to say, eh, I'm not, I don't want to fade that. Like if you think they're going to have a decent game strip and not fall behind, which is, I don't see why you would think that against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who for some reason can't play football in the first half and have to rely on these massive swings in the late in the third and especially into the fourth quarter where Ben has actually been one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. Like if they can keep this game close, it's not like the game strip is going to push these running backs out of the way and you shouldn't fear these defenses right now. Now Devonta Freeman had 97 total yards against the, against the Steelers in week 13. If Devonta Freeman can do that in the year 2021, so can Deontay Foreman. Very good. We're going to pause a second. Uh, I just want to introduce Tommy formally, Tommy Garrett. Uh, he spent years creating written and audio and video content around the NFL and fantasy football. You should know who Tommy is. Uh, those of you who are watching right now and listening, he's written over a thousand articles for Pro Football Network spanning two years. Tommy, I think you were actually the first full-time hire at PFN. Um, yeah. And so Tommy knows uh, more than anyone, uh, at least in this room. Uh, his expertise includes not only uh, NFL-based fantasy analysis, but also college football, NFL draft. It all ties together. And uh, he's really focused on getting people in the fantasy community more educated and provoking thought so that people are making smarter decisions. So I just want to make sure people know who Tommy is. I'll get to Kat soon. 
And Tommy, back to you. Let's talk about Jacksonville. They've not scored more than 23 points since the preseason. Uh, they're going up against the Texans and Jets next. Uh, is there is there anyone on that team, including James Robinson, that you would be fine starting in, let's say, a 12-team league in the fantasy playoffs? Can we trust anyone right now, though? This is my big issue is like, even with James Robinson question. dealing with part of the injury, and then you have like all the Urban Meyer stuff, like Urban Meyer might be the biggest detriment to anyone going on this team right now. It's like uh, Trevor Lawrence isn't playing great. James Robinson had to split reps with uh, Carlos Hyden for as much as he wants to sit here and say, oh, I don't control who goes in and out. Last week, James Robinson barely got any of the touches last week and only played on like a partial of the snaps, like compared to his normal workload where he was seeing 19 opportunities week in and week out. And he was back to being that guy, you know, we saw toward the end of last year where, you know, come into the season, all of a sudden his, you know, the the value of him kind of goes down. They bring in ETN, ETN gets hurt. Oh, hey, big James Robinson, he's back an RB2. I don't see that right now anymore. Even if the in the passing game, like Marvin Jones isn't doing great. The only guy that was reliable there was Dan Arnold. He's out for the season. You have James O'Shaughnessy who isn't able to put up the same type of production. It's you can't even use LaVisca Chenault right now in this team. That's I think that's one of the biggest surprises too. On a when you were constantly in negative game scripts, like there's nothing to go around. So it's I have a hard time finding anything positive coming out of this Jacksonville team right now, as long as Urban Myers is head coach. There are probably people who drafted James Robinson. I uh, yeah. felt like they were very savvy fantasy managers. I know I would have been one of them if I had drafted And you felt good for a long time. And you think, oh, they're playing the Texans and Jets in the fantasy playoffs. Like, yeah. this is, I've got a steal here. As long as I can get to the playoffs, I'm getting 20 points a game out of this guy. And it's just not happening. It's, it is it is a sign of, of a team that is corroding from the inside, and it impacts all the players. There was a lifelessness to the game yesterday against Tennessee. Um, and, uh, you know, Tennessee looked like the Patriots on defense. So that, that shouldn't have been, but that's how it is. Uh, Tommy, sticking with you, Chiefs Raiders, some fantasy managers might be rushing out to get Derek Gore or even Josh Gordon because people sometimes like to chase points. Uh, can you scare them away from that, or are you in their camp? I absolutely wouldn't do it. I think the big thing for me is, like, the Raiders were in garbage time for nearly three quarters. That never happens outside of like college football. But all of a sudden, the Chiefs put up, you know, they're up 7, 14, 21, and just keep racking these game, these points up. And it's all of a sudden, we have to now abandon. The Raiders had to abandon the run. But at that point, all of a sudden, you see these guys for the Chiefs who normally get, don't get all this run. They're now coming out there. If you just look at Gore himself, like 16 snaps came in the last 17 minutes of the game last week. Like that was when they were already sitting. Clyde Edwards Lair, who had already been productive. Um, uh, Darrell Williams, who had already been productive as well, too, like sitting in that that committee. So for me, it's I think it was just more of a product of the game itself. Like the Chiefs aren't going to go out there and just steamroll all of these teams. Like they had a little bit of extra momentum. I, I don't get why if you're the Raiders, you sit there and you poke that bear. Like why do you go out there and dance and go out there and celebrate on the middle of the field? Like I don't know what you're trying to accomplish out of that. You're not Baker Mayfield planting the flag at Ohio State or anything like that. Like this is going to go nowhere. And this is what you get. So it's for me, I think the biggest part of that game came out of that entire game was like Hunter Renfro establishing goals. Like he is a guaranteed must play. But in terms of like what happened with the Chiefs, it's I think it was just more a product of the game script. And these are guys that I would not be wanting to play and trust my fancy playoff life, especially in week in week 15 moving forward. And just nine of Evercore's 11 touches came in the final 17 minutes of the game with the Chiefs yeah. up by four scores. Yeah, that's not going to happen again. Um, stepping back to Jacksonville really quickly, uh, T-Money, T-Time 1, 
uh, uh, said uh, the uh, Laquan Treadwell disrespect, which is well well taken. Uh, tea money, tea time one. Uh, you're right. We've been talking about Treadwell on this podcast for a few weeks mm-hmm. now. Um, he has looked at times to be the number one receiver uh, on a team that probably should have other number one receivers. Uh, Chenault is being underutilized. Marvin Jones is being underutilized. Um, Treadwell has earned what he's gotten, no doubt. Uh, the question is, can you trust him in the fantasy playoffs? And I think there's a consensus here that he is a risky dart throw. Uh, the thing I would that. say about Treadwell, and this comes to like a number one player on a team in general, like not all wide receiver ones or running back ones are created equal. Like just the number one on a poor team on the grand scheme of things it's still like a low end wide receiver one, a low, a low end wide receiver three. I'm sorry. Like in his last three games, wide receiver 38, wide receiver 35, and wide receiver 39 and half point PPR. That's a low end flex play for a majority of leagues. So while he is been, you know, he's been usable, when you compare that to all the other teams and the upside of teams that are going to find the end zone more often, you're going to get better red zone looks like Treadwell for me doesn't stack up with the others. If you're in a deeper league, then yeah. Totally makes sense. I doubt he might still be floating around. I think a lot of savvy managers going into the playoffs might have already rostered him, kind of looking at these upcoming games against Houston and then against the Jets, knowing that they wouldn't play him against New England. So you're going to get some decent usage out of him. But I think when you compare him and the wide scheme of things, he might not stack up as favorably against everyone else as he does on Jacksonville. Very good time. My leagues have three wide receivers, two running backs, and two flexes. In that format, Laquan Treadwell is very viable because you can start up to five receivers. And in terms of a wide receiver five, I mean, you get 10 points from, from that final guy in your flex. That's very, very productive. But for most of you out there playing in your standard leagues on Yahoo or ESPN, yeah. you've got two receivers, two running backs, and a flex. Those are very shallow starting lineups. And in, in those rosters, especially with the playoffs now starting in week 15, you're just, you're not, they're not going to have a need for, Tread, for Treadwell unless you're just completely ravaged by injury. And Kat, sticking with you with the Raiders, uh, as we've talked about next week, is the start of the fantasy playoffs uh, in many leagues. And and my big question is, how startable will Josh Jacobs be in Cleveland? I think this is a deceptively tough matchup uh, by a team that really could go either way on offense. Uh, how confident are you in Jacobs? I, I've been a guy who's faded Josh Jacobs as a, uh, for a couple of years now because I just never really believed in the talent. Uh, just low athletic measurables, 4.69 speed. There was he was he was the RB one in in a class where there were no RB ones. He, he was just the RB one by default. But, but uh, Miles Sanders did have some upside of Iran. It's like coming out of Penn State, he looked halfway decent. You just don't like Miles Sanders. Th- that's correct. But athletically, I'm mean, actually that's a good comparison because athletically, Miles Sanders has it. The athleticism is there. It's not there for Josh Jacobs because uh, he's got low burst, low agility. But he always kind of on the film, he looks better than his his athleticism which has kind of propped him up. And I give him credit because he because he plays hard and he's played well at times. And one of my knocks against him was the complete lack of receiving upside. But over the past several weeks, that has completely changed. And I'm going to give him credit for this. He has now seen four targets in six straight games. What used to be his weakness is now actually his strength. Last week, he had five receptions for 46 yards. He has a target floor now, and he's the goal line back for the Raiders, even though they're not scoring much. Even though he had that awful day last week, nine carries, 24 yards, but he's got a floor now. And since he's the goal line back, he has upside. I don't think there's a world where you can bench Josh Jacobs in week 15. Do you think part of that receiving upside has came from the change in coaching staff going from John Gruden to Riz Basaccia and wanting to then try to focus and get uh, him more involved in the passing game? 
I think it's definitely possible. I, I never, I, I mean, I bashed the John Gruden signing from from day one. I mean, I got a tweet from 2018 that said this would go down as one of the worst signings of all time. And what, I'm the hundred million dollar man. Yeah, I, I mean, at, at one at one point it was there were what did they pay? What did they get for the, that money? How many wins did they get? At, so at one point he had like three wins. <laughs> he, he was getting, how many draft picks did they get out of it too? Like find me a draft I mean, pick that actually hit also. You, if you look at the yeah, if you look at their draft classes, they have almost nobody left. Their best pick is it might be Josh Jacobs in round one, which is saying something. Uh, but yeah, Josh Jacobs' usage in a passing game has increased specifically since about week nine-ish. And that I, I don't remember exactly when Gruden uh resigned, but it coincides right around that time. And I think perhaps the reality is Kenyon Drake, Jalen Richard, Pate Barber, these guys are just replacement level talents at best. Now, I don't think Josh Jacobs is much, is much better than that, but he's better than those guys. And he should have been used in the passing game. That was one of his skills coming out of Alabama is that he was a good receiver. Yet for some reason, they would constantly pull him off the field for the likes of Jalen Rashard. It doesn't make sense to not have your best your best running back on the field. And as long as he has that receiving upside, which he appears to have going forward, he's at least a mid-RB2 every week. Very good. And I think that first game after Gruden resigned, I think Kenyon Drake was the one who got the benefit of the rece- of the receptions. I think he caught uh, like six balls for 60 yards, something around there. And it looked like there was going to be a shift that suddenly they were going to uh, use Drake the way that some of us imagine they would as kind of a, you know, a, a Jacobs on first two downs, Drake on passing downs. Uh, but Drake then never really caught on after that. So there was this interesting fade that took place. Um, and now Jacob's obviously assuming uh, more control. Really quickly, Katz, uh, we got to talk about the Jets. Braxton Berrios, uh, uh, if Elijah Moore is still out next week, Berrios, he, he led his team with 10 oh, targets. Elijah Moore is out. Elijah Moore's on IR. Is it, he's, that's right. He's, out for, he's on IR. So when yeah. Braxton Berrios, he had 11 targets back in week two. This is not a, a fluke, but it is a surprise. But we have to take something from it. Is Berrios the number one for the Jets? And given some of the matchups going into the fantasy playoffs, is he someone that people should add? Uh, unfortunately, the answer to this is maybe. Uh, last week, we discussed how Jameson Crowder had wide receiver three potential in PPR leagues because the Saints were vulnerable to the slot. The process was right. Unfortunately, the player was wrong. Barrios led the Jets six receptions on nine targets. But the thing is, he only played 40% of the snaps. He was behind Jamison Crowder, Keelan Cole, and someone called DJ Montgomery. I don't know who that is, but he played more snaps. I'm so glad I wasn't the only one who had to do a Google search on who this guy was. It makes me feel so much better about myself. Yeah, so there, there were two guys that we're probably going to talk about on this, on this uh, podcast that we didn't know who they were before today or before yesterday. The other one being uh, Craig Reynolds on the Lions. I only do this as a job. That's it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, these guys coming out of nowhere. But yeah, DJ Montgomery playing more snaps than Berrios has me a bit, um, I'm going to say, trepidatious about recommending Berrios going forward. I I don't know. It's kind of similar to the Laquan Treadwell thing, where if you're starting him, you're kind of hoping for what? What what, what did you do this week? Six for 52. So you think you're looking at 11 PPR points, maybe at best. That feels like a ceiling game for him. We've seen him get double digit targets before, but I just, I don't know if you can confidently start Braxton Berrios. I'm going to revise your answer then to no cats. Uh, you said maybe, <laughs> but I think that's, I think that's a soft no. And we'll leave it at that. Uh, I want to introduce cats formally, Jason Katz. He's been producing fantasy football content since 2015, including as a writer and producer on four different sites before joining pro football network. He's been 
also playing fantasy football for 19 years. Tommy also is an avid fantasy football manager, as am I. That's part of the game. And uh, Katz competes in about eight leagues each season. So every bit of advice that he gives is something he's either doing or would do if he were in the same situation. This is real world type stuff, folks, not just imaginary. What would we do if uh, Tommy Saints, Taysom Hill, he handled the Jets. Uh, that big TD run certainly made all the difference. Uh, are you starting him as a QB one next week in Tampa Bay? He's probably going to be on the fringe for me, which I think might surprise some people given like we've seen him put up some sensational numbers here recently. Last week, you know, goes to, uh, 15 of 21 passing 175 yards, but he makes the bulk of his work on the ground. 11 or 73 for two scores. As you said, that long one did kind of help. And we wonder how much they would kind of impact him and Calvin Kamara, where I think it was just the inability of the Jets defense just kind of allowed both these players to flourish. And I think that's going to be where the concern is for me next week is because a guy who is his value was so predicated on his ability to, to generate yards on the ground. We know what this Buccaneers defense can do and how well they stop uh, stop running backs. And I think we have to consider Taysom Hill. Sometimes he is kind of a glorified running back. Like, Grant, he is a great quarterback at times. But the bulk of his fantasy production and why we are starting him is not for his arm and even with his messed up hand right now. It's for what he can do on the ground. So I think for me, he's probably going to be in that lower-end quarterback one, higher-end quarterback two kind of range rather than what he just finished up his last week, which was, I believe, uh, right now he's sitting as a QB four. I doubt he's probably going to get passed tonight. We'll see if that happens between uh, in this high in this game tonight on Monday Night Football. But I think he's good, not going to be producing, you know, those those high-end uh, quarterback numbers that we've kind of been getting used to in any time of game that he starts. Very good. And just backtracking to the Jets, uh, Moody Masker 18 wrote, watching the Jets is painful on the eyes. And free Denzel Mims. Um, I'm assuming you. it. I'm assuming it's Moody Masker 18. It could be Moody Mass Acre. Uh, maybe uh, he owns 18 acres so. of a. Uh, of the a thing with my thing, thing is like with Denzel Mims is why did you spend all his draft capital on if you're not going to use him? I mean, for these two years, like he was one of the biggest risers at the combine because uh, he was one of the biggest guys. He tested so well, one of the quickest forties, like, you know what he can bring to this team. And when you don't have, like you're talking about Elijah Moore, who was like the wide receiver two uh, since like week nine up until he goes out. Then on the rest of this roster, I mean, you're sitting here working with Jameson Crowder as your number one option. Like, there's no reason not to be getting Denzel Mims out there. I understand, like, there was this little bit of, like, a back and forth between him and where he was, whether or not he was ready, and Robert Sala's eyes and everything else. Like, I get there's been, been some back and forth, and he hasn't developed the way they should, but you would think this is a guy that you can get out there, get him some reps, and see what he can do, even if it's just in the red zone. Like, as much as I hate running, like, the goal line fade and things like that, like, just give him some looks because he has the athleticism to match up with virtually any quarterback in the NFL. And if you can give Zach Wilson a big enough target window, he can probably fit the ball in there. No one else on this team has a bigger target window than Denzel Mims. So, for me, I'm kind of with you. Like, it's a guy who I would like to see getting more looks, but for some reason, he's just not getting involved in this team. Uh, Terry McLaurin, I've been uh, uh, talking about him for weeks, warning about uh, how deceptively risky he is uh, with uh, Taylor Heineke at QB. Uh, and in that offense, uh, he had more uh, fantasy uh, games with, I think, nine or less points than he had with more than nine points, which is dangerous for if you're starting a guy like McLaurin as your number one or number two receiver. Now he gets knocked out, uh, four targets, zero receptions. Um, if he misses time, who's your favorite guy to pick up in his place? Is there anyone? Is it Cam Sims? Is it DeAndre Carter? Is it Curtis Samuel, who we might never see produce the way he did at Carolina? 
See, that's the interesting thing to me is like we're sitting here talking about who's going to replace, and there's a guy with we, we literally have Curtis Samuel sitting here on this roster, uh, and, but I don't think he's going to be my pick. Like, if I would pick one, like uh, maybe Cam Sims, just because he did have that sensational touchdown, so you know he's going to have some momentum, saw a decent amount of use, saw four targets, but. To me, this is one where they're probably going to spread the ball around a lot, and you're probably not going to end up with a bunch of upside unless you're kind of banking on a touchdown. Um, Adam Humphreys, you know, he saw seven targets in this game. Like, I would like to see Curtis Samuel get more involved. I think if you there was ever a game where, you know, he was going to come back because they've kind of slowly worked him back. You know, he came back a little bit maybe too early and re-injured his groin, which is something we were kind of cautious about. Um, then he goes, he goes and sits back out and they've kind of slowly worked him back in. So we would like to see him probably get a little bit more involved. Like I would hope this would be the game, but until I see it, I'm kind of stuck wondering if it's ever going to happen. And I don't know if it's going to in 2021. I'm willing right. to close the book on Curtis Samuel in 2021, unfortunately, because after, are you? Yeah. Cause going into this game, they said that they expected Samuel to play more snaps because he had made, made it through two games. He was seeing 24%, then 30%. Then yes. McLaurin goes out. And Samuel goes back down to 21% of the snaps. And it's just like, I mean, I love Curtis Samuel. I've always been a fan. I love his talent. I don't know why they're not using him. And I just feel like if they were going to use him, it would have been last week. And because they didn't, it's just not going to happen this year. He ran 14 snaps and ran seven routes last week. Uh, Yeah, like what what is that usage? Exactly. Um, Kat, sticking with you now. Corey Clement out touched Zeke Elliott 14 to 13 with Tony Pollard out uh, with plantar fasciitis, full tear. Uh, is Clement someone you advise people to pick up on waivers this week, or is uh, that a, uh, a not someone to focus on? This is another really, really tricky one. Corey Clement played 36% of the snaps last week, which was pretty much in line with what Pollard's been doing all season. He's been around that 40% snap share. Yep. Um, the reality is, I think the Cowboys thought they were in garbage time until they kind of played their way out of garbage time. Oh, they <laughs> were. They were up 24 nothing at one point. Right. They were 24 nothing. They went up 24-8. And it's like, okay, fine. 24-8 with the ball. All of a sudden, football team scores. Dak throws a touchdown to the wrong team. And we're looking at a one-score game now with four minutes left. The Cowboys need a first down to, to go seal the game. And it's it's like uh, they were using Corey Clement because they wanted to give Zeke a break. And it's like, uh-oh, wait a minute. We might actually need to get a first down and score some points here. Uh, but but Clement is definitely the Pollard replacement. The problem is he's not, he's not as talented. And he's not involved in the passing game like Pollard is. Clement had just uh, two targets in this game. The problem is with picking up Clement is, first of all, we don't know what Pollard's status is. I said all last week, I didn't understand how someone could possibly play with a torn plantar fascia. I still don't understand it, but they haven't put him on IR, which means they think there's a chance he can come back at some point. Is that this week? Is that next week? I don't know. If Pollard comes back, then Clement is a complete waste of a pickup. There's no chance he has any value. As it stands now, his value would be in the event of a Zeke injury. We've seen Clement be the lead back for the Eagles at, at various points throughout his first two years there in 2017 and 2018. He was okay at times, could be serviceable in a pinch, but there's no high upside there unless Zeke were to get hurt and he may be an RB2. I don't know if that's worth a roster spot right now. The question I have is like, or it's almost more of a concern is, the longer they leave Tony Pollard as like a game time decision, the more confusion we're going to have going forward. Like if they say for some reason they actually leave him as active for a game, we're gonna have to wonder, okay, is Tony Pollard actually active or he just active? And how is that Take going to like exactly? That's and that's what we always have to worry about with these running back twos that we're hoping we're gonna step him into a different role that then kind of take some take some of this workload off Ezekiel Elliott. And so it's I would almost rather them just shut down Tony Pollard and take away this entire 
you know, movable chairs game right now. Wonder who's actually going to be the RB two because it just makes things more more confusing for fantasy managers moving forward. And for those who like history, Tony Pollard uh, last year, week fifteen, was the number one fantasy running back. He had over thirty points in PPR. Um, uh, these guys last year, there are about five or six guys in the top fourteen, including Benny Snell and Salvan Ahmed and others who were. I'm going to take a bet here and say that's probably not going to happen again this year. This year. It's uh, yeah, good uh, good use of sarcasm. Um, uh, jump into the uh, uh, Panthers and Falcons. I'm just going to take these real quick so we can uh, keep moving because there's not a lot to take away that people don't already know. But one of those things that that uh, those watching and listening should think about is Robbie Anderson. Uh, he was a you know roughly a top 28 receiver last year, top 24 in that range, and he has not produced. He's had one of the lowest catch rates uh, of any receiver in years uh, for any starter. Um, he occasionally seems to show glimmers of, of his past promise and then fades. Uh, and I'll say that on Sunday, it looked like he was back. He had 12 targets. He's just one of those cases. He is a boom bust receiver. That's what you're getting this year with Robbie Anderson, especially not knowing who's going to be a quarterback. And even with talk today that Sam Darnold might actually return as quarterback, which uh, was absolutely shocking. Uh, and as far as the Falcons, Mike Davis, we talked about him last week on this show. How many more times is he going to get 10-plus fantasy points? He has been a machine on getting 10-plus fantasy points. I don't know how he does it. Uh, it seems like he is uh, – There, it seems like there are at least two other running backs in that offense who uh, on the field are more valuable, but Davis continues to get the usage and he's getting fantasy managers much-needed points, especially in their number two running back slot, which is a tough slot to fill as you get deep into the season. So there's no knock in Mike Davis. Uh, he's getting it done, 10-plus fantasy points more often than not. But um, is that actually doing you anything? Well, Wait, it's honestly, like, is ten, if we're saying, okay, 10 points is the threshold, like, is 10 points actually giving you much upside in fantasy? Like, if I know I have a guy, I'm getting 10 points out of him that's not probably going to win me my week. Like if we look at his season, like he's finished as an RB two or better only three times, two of those come in the last weeks. So I'll give you that. But outside of that, like I don't see a lot of upside because this is not a team that's scoring the ball. He has one touchdown since week five. 10 points is about the <laughs> RB three threshold in PPR leagues. I mean, if you're starting an RB three in your RB two slot, I like Tommy said, I'm not sure if that's uh, too exciting. Okay, so I'll challenge you guys with this. You can't look at just RB2 and RB3. Look at the point differentials. We were just talking about flex play, 10 points, 12 points, so that's pretty good for a flex play. I would say that there's a lot of people who have trouble finding a 10-point running back. If it were that easy, everyone would have one. A lot of people if are I'm stuck in my with, flex spot, I'm not trying to use a back. I'm not trying to use a running back three. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying use a running back. I'm, I'm saying there's a lot of top 30 running backs who do who people do not start in a given week, right? Okay. So if you're getting a guy who's a 10 point running back in your number two running back slot, that is arguably just as valuable as getting a flex guy, getting you 12 or 13 points. Cause there's a lot more options you have at flex than you have at a number two running box. spot. if you just lost Derek Henry six weeks ago or whatever, and you knew that you were going to get a replacement to get you 10 points, you're much happier than getting a flex guy at 12 points. The gap between what Mike Davis is getting you and other people's number two running backs, I would argue, is probably much closer than the gap of someone getting 12 points in their flex spot and other people's flex spots. That implies that other people are getting 
like five to seven points from their RB2s. And I just, I don't see that being the case necessarily. As we get deeper into the season, I guess my point is getting 10 points fairly consistently from a number two running back, especially a guy like Mike Davis, who is uh, available in a lot of leagues and has been available in a lot of leagues because he's had some disappointing games and hasn't been utilized, uh, you know, as a, as a featured running back on that team is makes him far more valuable than someone. I mean, look at all the people who stream. Let's give an example. This past week, Dontrell Hilliard. How many people went with Dontrell Hilliard and fell flat? Um, you know, how many people picked other guys? The point is, if you're getting a guy like Mike Davis in your number two running back slot, I think that's surprisingly valuable. And you're only losing a couple, two to three points on average, give or take, uh, from other people's number two running back spots. And sometimes you're outplaying other people's number two running back spots. Um, I'll leave it at that. It's a great discussion. Tommy, let's go to the Texans. Rex Burkhead, Royce Freeman, uh, both had double-digit points. We're talking about the value of double-digit points. Royce Freeman, right? Former Denver cast-off and Carolina cast-off. Are we taking any, anything away from this? Or can, can we look to double-digit points for these two in the future? He did that on the back of, you know, six for 51 receiving. Because outside that, he had 11 carries and only got 15 yards. He barely averaged over a yard on the ground per play. Um, so I, it's it's hard for me to put much trust in the guy in this in a very poor backfield. Like Rex Burkhead had, I think he had, what, the last two touchdowns for a running back. Outside of that, the Houston Texans have five touchdowns for a running back. Three of those came in week one. The only two players on this offense, out barring a quarterback, that have multiple touchdowns is Brandon Cooks and Brevin Jordan. Like the backfield right now is kind of like throw someone in there. They're probably not going to do that much. Like you're hoping for this upside grand. They're going to play Jacksonville. Jacksonville is not a bad matchup, but unless he is getting this type of passing work, it's hard for me to find a way that Royce Freeman is going to make his way into a lineup right now. Very good. Cats, Rashad Penny, first round pick 2018. Entered Sunday with only three games with 75 or more rushing yards. Yesterday was a career high in rushing yards, rushing TDs. What do you take from it? Is Penny the top waiver ad this week for managers who need a running back? Last week, we came on this show, and I was confidently talking about how KJ Osborne was the top ad of the week. This week, that man is Rashad Penny. He is absolutely the number one waiver pickup. Uh, he is he is worth literally every bit of waiver firepower you have left. Number one waiver priority, all your fab, everything. If he is out there, go get him if you have the capital left. He played 57% of the snaps, most on the team. 14 carries, buck 37, two touchdowns. Obviously, that won't be the norm every week, but I'm confident in saying that he has completely vanquished the replacement level Alex Collins and is now the clear lead back. The Seahawks still have an elite quarterback. This is an offense that can score points, and Penny has, I dare, dare I say it, league winning upside. Wow. Are you concerned, though, with his matchup coming up against the Rams and then the Bears? I'm more concerned with the Rams than the Bears. I think that the Seahawks can move the ball against the Bears, even though the Bears, I think, are one of the better teams at defending the run. But it's more about can they get in scoring position and then punch in short touchdowns. And I think they can do that against the Bears. Against the Rams, it's definitely trickier. But mm -hmm. I think that Penny has earned the volume. And if, if, listen, if we're talking about Mike Davis and 10 points being useful, then I think Penny can do that based on volume alone. And I think he's a better player, so he, he, he can possibly break off a big run. Would you rather have Rashad Penny or Mike Davis this week? Rashad Penny. We're down to the final 10 minutes. Uh, Cats, Broncos. Is any Bronco wideout startable next week? I think the only one you can even remotely consider starting is Jerry Judy. Uh, Cortland Sutton, who I love so much, is averaging 
2.7 targets per game over his last seven games. They paid this man $65 million guaranteed, and they're giving him less than three targets a game. And they gave him that midseason. It wasn't like, oh, hey, we're going to give you all this money in the preseason. No, they gave him that to him now, and you're still doing this. Like, oh, just what, go on make, before I get a tangent. They'll make it up to him next season when they get a different quarterback. Uh, Tommy, Lions, oh. Craig Reynolds. Uh, basically, I, I wrote about him. Uh, John Helmkamp on our team uh, wrote about the uh, Detroit backfield. We tag teamed on that. Uh, we'd heard that he might be the front runner for touches. He dominated against one of the league's better run defenses. Uh, the Broncos entered week 14, giving up, I think it was the 11th fewest fantasy points per game to running backs. So our fantasy managers overreaching if they pick him up. Do you, do you have some uh, opposing view uh, from Katz when he says, Rashad Penny, use all of your, what was it, waiver power, I think it was, Katz, to get Rashad Penny. Would you use all of your waiver power, Tommy, to get Reynolds? He's someone who I would pick up. I don't know if I would spend everything I would like I would on Rashad Penny because I think Reynolds, you know, his upside is predicated on what happens with like with Jamal Williams. We know DeAndre Swift is probably going to get shut down for the season. Um, that's most likely kind of what we're hearing because the Lions have been officially eliminated out of the playoffs. They have nothing to play for, so don't waste, don't um, risk your future of you know, your running back position for games that don't really mean too much. Uh, if Williams comes back, then I think Reynolds loses a little bit of his upside, but I think for right now, he's worth the claim just in case whatever happens takes out ahead of him. Because, I mean, Jamar Jefferson, who they loved, great running back coming out of Oregon State. I really liked him, even though they got him as a pretty good steal. Um, he dealt with the flu last week, so he probably wasn't going to be, you know, that typical player we would have liked to have seen. And then Godwin last name insert here um he really didn't too much either so i think right now it would be craig reynolds would be your rb1 for the lions they get the arizona next week not a great matchup but over the last four weeks they've kind of been giving up some points on the ground uh but that's assuming that the lions you know, don't get blown out and they have to go away from you know running the ball have to go to more vertical style offense that's always going to be the concern with this team it's going to be the game script but if you're going to pick someone out and do a speculative ad based on what could happen around him then yeah craig reynolds would be someone i'd be stashing on my bench right now I'm going to roll through the next four players real quick because we're running out of time, and then we'll get back to Katz and Tommy. Uh, we got the Chargers and Giants. Austin Eckler should be okay, we think, for Thursday night football. Definitely something to monitor. Uh, keep in mind, uh, you know, this is obviously a huge game. Uh, the Chargers are 8-5. and five. They don't need to have – if they lose this game, they still control their destiny. It is something to keep in the back of your mind. If Eckler is less than 100%, I'm not saying don't start him. I'm saying – Chargers can still get to the playoffs if they don't win this one. And the, if the Chiefs offense is overpowering the Chargers and Eckler is less than 100%, you can do the math. Uh, as far it's as the Giants. At one point, you're up 37 to 7. Don't throw Eckler back in there. That's why they held him out. That was very obvious right. that, that I knew right away he wasn't coming back in because they just had no reason to. And then as far as the Giants, Devontae Booker uh, seems to be outplaying Saquon Barkley in spurts, but Barkley's still getting a good fantasy day. Something to keep in mind is going forward. Jamar Chase got back on track fantasy-wise, but still a risky start. Not getting the targets that T. Higgins is, not getting the yardage. Touchdowns are great, but you can't bank on touchdowns the way you can t uh, bank on targets and, and yards, especially targets, though. That's where the quarterback's looking, and Higgins is still the number one. And finally, 49ers. Jeff Wilson out touching Jamichael Hasty 13 to three, uh, but Wilson didn't really do enough. I know because I faced Wilson in a win or or go home situation that I ended up pulling out, but uh, uh, I was scared with Jeff Wilson starting. And the fact is, uh, Elijah Mitchell has still outplayed uh, all other running backs on the 49ers this season for when he returns. Now back to you, Tommy. Buccaneers Bills. 
No real surprises yesterday. So my big question is, we're going to defense facing the Saints. We talked about Taysom Hill. Do you trust the Bucks defense, a defense that a lot of people invested in? They've been a top 10 defense all season. Do you feel comfortable starting them against the Saints, Saints uh, Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara? Yeah, right now in my kind of early rankings, I've got the Sammy Buccaneers with the number four defense uh, right now for the week 15. Um, although they do have Alvin Kamara, I think that is going to be a little bit of a concern. It's going to come down to can you turn the can you force a turnover? If you can force a turnover, you got a really good shot. And I think they can, can probably contain Taysom Hill at least a little bit. Um, it's going to be okay. How much can they get ahead on the Saints? Steve, can, can how much can the the offense put up points to force the Saints to have to try to throw the ball? If you have to throw, force the Saints to throw the ball, you're going to at some point turn over Taysom Hill. We know he can be prone uh, to some poor throws, some interceptions. I think they can take advantage of that. I think they're going to be a locked in, you know, uh, DST one, however you want to phrase it. Uh, I think you would want well, to start them this week. At some point, it's. I think it'll be a. I think it'll be a good game for them. I think, like I said, Taysom Hill could struggle a little bit. That's why I talked about him being out just outside, possibly my QB one kind of range. Kamara's Kamara. He's going to get his uses. He's going to carve up any defense. Uh, but I think it will help kind of neutralize. You know where his strength is. He's going to get his points on the and uh, through the air most likely, which I think will kind of play into this way. I do actually like Tampa Bay this week as a defense. I agree with you. It's uh, the Saints' biggest weakness uh, is its passing game, and that's the Bucks' yep. biggest weakness. And I think the Bucks win that battle. It's a strength on strength matchup. There you go. Uh, Cats, Bills, Josh Allen, day to day, roughly with a sprained ankle, uh, and uh, basically, what can we expect if Mitch Trubisky is under center in Week 15? Is there any fall off to let's say Stephon Diggs and Dawson Knox? Uh, if Trubisky has to start, there's definitely going to be uh, it will definitely be a significant blow to the offense. Allen Robinson managed to be productive with Trubisky to a couple years ago. He averaged nearly 15 fantasy points per game in PPR leagues. Um, Diggs will be fine and is obviously a must start regardless of who plays at quarterback. Knox definitely takes a hit because he's relying on his rapport with Josh Allen and the touchdowns. Obviously, the Bills would not be expected to score as many touchdowns with Trubisky at quarterback as they would with Josh Allen. But early reports on Allen's uh, foot issue seem to be kind of positive, and I think especially given how much the bills have fallen off and need this win this week. I think he's going to play. Can we also kind of give an apology to Mitch Trubisky? Cause I feel like we just dogged him throughout his entire career. Like, dude, I'm sorry. It wasn't you. Like it was Matt Nagy. Like, I, I, mean, I feel like we all owe Mitch Trubisky a little bit of an apology. Cause like we saw him in, in the, uh, in the preseason, he looked kind of good out there. Grant, I get the skill set he was going out there and matching up against on defense, but I think we can probably sit here and say like, if Mitch Trubisky plays well, if he plays, a, that means Brian Dable is just incredible at his job. And also, we really sincerely owe Mitch Trubisky an apology. It wasn't you. It was a person you were with. And at least you're out of that relationship. I mean, Trubisky is certainly better than some guys we've seen starting this season. Like, I don't know, Tim Boyle. <sighs> yeah. Um, I will say I, I've been uh, uh, up and down on Trubisky. But one of the, the things that I pushed on him a few years ago, when he started running with the ball, um, he, was He's athletic. Top, he was a top 14 quarterback. Like he was the quintessential streamer with Allen Robinson and a, and a young David Montgomery. Uh, the problem is they got away from the run last year and he became a pocket quarterback. And it, well, it, they got away from the run with Matt Nagy when they right. switched over to play call news and went back to Bill Lazor. They were number one in the NFL. And that was when you saw David Montgomery all of a sudden take off. Right. But, but Trubisky, one of his strengths is in the running game and they took that away from him and it changed what he could do as a quarterback. He was no longer a, that kind of dual threat on offense and it took away a lot from his skill set. 
So I would love to see Trubisky get back to that. You know, he can rush for 300 yards in a season easily. If you could go back in time and replay that season that he had with Chicago when he was allowed to run. I'd be uh, curious because he hasn't had over 20 yards in a game since 2020. Yeah, it was, it was, this was 2018 or 2019. He had uh, a bunch of big yardage games. We're talking 15 to 35 yards, uh, enough to make a lot of noise in fantasy. And he became one of my favorite streamers for a bunch of weeks. And my friend Aaron Weaver picked him up when I talked about him one day on my blog and he beat me to it. So uh, that one hurt. Uh, uh, Finishing up, uh, we're going to go, Tommy, uh, speaking of the Bears, and then Katz will finish with you. Justin Fields, what are your thoughts on him, Tommy, for the fantasy playoffs? Uh, would you count on him in a, let's say, a 14-team league? Is Fields a streamer going forward? He's probably going to sit outside of it for me. I think there's just a little bit of inconsistencies when you see him because I would love to see what he can do and actually involve Allen Robinson in this offense. I think you should probably want to do that with your team. Uh, the big thing right now is like we're banking on his rushing upside because uh, you're not getting done the arm. He did have 74 yards on the ground on nine carries last week, which was fantastic against Green Bay. Can he do that moving forward? I would love to hope so because he was, I mean, he was, you know, top two, top three in this rookie class. And we all kind of compared him with like him and like Trey Lance, who brought the most um, dynamic ability as a dual threat quarterback. We're getting to see Justin Fields kind of take that that first step as uh, Trey Lance kind of sits behind Jimmy Garoppolo. You've got a decent matchup against Minnesota who kind of sat there and let themselves get thrown all over by Ben Roethlisberger and obviously much more mobility sitting here out of Justin Fields. And you get Seattle, which I think he can kind of take advantage of even against the Giants. Like I don't hate that play either going up against them. Um, It all comes down to consistency with the arm. If he can sit here and kind of get back to, you know, give me 240 plus yards and give me 40 yards on the ground. I would take that every single day out of Justin Fields and would have him probably as a a very solid um, QB streamer, like in a 14-team league. If you're in a normal league, he's probably going to fall out of that because you've got guys with probably much safer floors. And just on offense, I more just generally trust more than the Chicago Bears. That rushing ability, because we're just not getting it done through the air recently. Very good. And before Katz finishes us off, I had to look up Mitch Trubisky because I want to be right. And if I'm wrong, I want to admit that I'm wrong. And uh, from late 2017 to late 2018, Trubisky had eight games with at least 40 rushing yards, uh, capped by an 81-yard rushing attempt uh, on October 21st, 2018. So think about it. For about half the games from mid-2017 to mid-2018, he was one of the top rushers in the game. That's the Trubisky that I want to see. He is fully capable of being that dual threat. Obviously, we've many people have forgotten about it, which is sad. I do hope he starts in the NFL again. He do, he does deserve an apology from a lot of people, and he does deserve another chance. Packers, hopefully Cats. this week it's Josh Allen. We don't have to worry about it. That's right. Hopefully yeah. it's Moot and, and he'll go uh, somewhere else next year. Um, not Josh Allen, Mitch Trubisky. Uh, Packers, Cats, Aaron Rodgers, toe injury, worse than it was before the game. That's scary. That's that's that must make people nervous. Anyone who is watching and listening, how panicked should fantasy managers be about not just Rodgers, but also the entire offense of which there's four or five guys that people rely on. For most teams, the decision of whether a player can play through an injury comes down to the medical staff, uh, not for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is the only one who decides what Aaron Rodgers does. And Aaron Rodgers is not taking himself off the field. I, I don't we don't like to hear about him aggravating his toe injury. I don't think Rodgers would be so nonchalant about talking about his injuries and how much it hurts if he had any concern that he was not going to play. Maybe he gets the surgery. I guess there's an outside shot that he could get a surgery either today or tomorrow and maybe miss this Sunday. 
But I think that that's the worst case scenario. Obviously, if you are playing in round one of the playoffs this week and you don't have Rodgers, that'll be a huge problem. But if you have a bye, uh, you should be fine for week 16. Rodgers isn't coming off this field. This is at an ego. At this point, it is just self-respect. I will not come off this field given what's happened so far this season. Look, even if he gets a pin insert into his foot, which he said could happen and he could still play that week. Like, I don't see a way unless you literally cut off that leg. Aaron Rodgers is going to be on that field for the Green Bay Packers. He might go for Ronnie Lott and cut off his toe if he has to to keep playing. That's been honestly joked around about. (laughs) All right, we will uh, end on that joke, I guess. Um, Tommy Garrett, Jason Katz, Katz, uh, as I like to call him. Uh, Thank you for being here. You are amazing fantasy analysts. Again, my name is BJ Rudell, PFN Fantasy Football Director. It's been a pleasure being with you today on video, uh, over the audio, and uh, maybe through smell. I don't know. I don't know how all this internet works, but thank you very much. We are Pro Football Network. You can find us, profootballnetwork.com. Join us on the fantasy side. You can join our Facebook community that has over 16,000 people. Uh, ask, start, sit questions. Talk about uh, uh, you know your fantasy uh, playoff prospects and all sorts of stuff. You can join us on Twitter, Twitter Spaces. Sign up for our newsletter. We are everywhere. We're researching this stuff all day and into the night, and we're here for you. Thanks for joining us.